so my name is Nathalie and I came in London in 1992. Mon nom est Nathalie et je suis arrivée à Londres en 1992. Where was I born? I was born uh, at Verdun, uh, it's in the north of France, maybe when I was about uh, nine, ten months. My mom and dad moved to the Alps in a little village called Cruet-la-Chapelle. It was for work, really. They were very young. Dad was 20, must be 25, because when I was born, I uh, was one year old, so it was 25. Mom's 17, 18, going to 18. Oh my God, when I think about it. My aunt was there already, and dad had some friends. That's when he was asked to join in, in the fiberglass factory in Saint-Gobain. And Cruet-la-Chapelle, this beautiful little village. The closest town was uh, called Chambéry. And it was tiny, and I believe I knew everybody by name and faces. I could recognize everybody down there. It was just about 500 people, but we knew, you know, the families. So it was a lovely place to be. Mum and dad moved to Medoc when I was doing my baccalaureate. So, I don't know, maybe 16? At the time, I was not too happy as well in uh, Medoc. Uh, I was a bit bored. I did have a job, so my first job was to work in a restaurant, I, and I, I did well there actually because I was a waitress, the barman, I did the cooking from time to time, I was doing everything, and I loved it. I actually was doing really well because I paid my rent with my tips. I was doing really well. <laughs> and after that I was selling houses and I didn't like it, and I really didn't like it. But I was luckier than my brothers and sisters because uh, they've been bullied, uh, because they had a different accent, they were outsiders. And Medoc, people stay there for generations, they, they don't travel. They work for generation after generation in the same, for the same castle, the same vineyard. So people who work for Saint-Julien or Saint-Estef, all those words, They'll make sure the same family is actually working in the vineyard. And they, it's, a, it's a closed, you know, closed environment. So they, when they see someone else coming, so well, you're going to take my work. <laughs> my sister had that opportunity to go to London almost a year before me because her husband was pâtissier. So they were working in that French pâtisserie and delicatessen place in South Kensington. So that's why I came, just to work in the shop and maybe to have a change of air and everything, you know. She asked me, there was a vacancy, I said, yes, let's go. What was my journey here like? Yeah, I was, I was traveling all by myself, but it was quite scary because I never traveled by a plane before and I, I panicked. <laughs> I could not believe the the size of Stansted Airport. I was I, I never had that uh, that experience in my life before. As I say, I never traveled before. So I, my first sentence was, uh, "Where is the station, please? Where is the station, please?" <laughs> And I think a lovely couple must have seen the despair on my face, and they actually accompanied me to the station, to the train station. They took the train with me. I know it was amazing and and I have to say everybody I was asking for help were very nice uh, very kind people and they directed me to the next train to go to Clapham and I could not believe a thinking in my head that airport maybe 
30 minutes later, clap on. No, 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 no. <laughs> to travel. Yeah. And at the time, I was living at Kenwin Road. It's only, what, five minutes by foot. It was very close to the Clapham Common Station. I took a taxi and the drive, the driving lasted 30 minutes. <laughs> so someone got me, but I didn't know it at the time. And uh, it's um, the day after my brother-in-law told me, but Natalie, you were only five minutes. I said, well, but how do I know? You know, <laughs> I never guessed that. Anyway, it was, it was an adventure. <laughs> I was like a baby. I had uh, lots of relief on my face when I saw uh, Clapham and my brother-in-law. And my sister, of course. That was great. What was France like when I left it? Actually, it was not easy to find a job. I remember that. But maybe because the area I was living in as well, quite rural. And it wasn't my place. It was, uh, I was living only in the southwest of France for uh, a year, a year and a half. So I was not uh, acclimatized uh, to, to the place. You, you know France yourself, and there's lots of accents in France. So the, the um, Savoyard from the Alps accent is, as we say, pointu. And uh, the accent from the soft southwest is like a singing accent and uh, totally different. And people were picking up on my accent. It's a very enclosed place, Medoc. And people don't like outsiders. They even see uh, from village to village in that in that place. They'll say they don't belong. <laughs> so imagine someone coming from seven hundred kilometers away from them. They we definitely don't belong. Describe my little village. What it was like. So as you coming from a small national road. It starts to go slightly higher, the, the angle of the road is a bit higher. Then you turn left and you see Crue la Chapelle and you'll be walking or driving in a very narrow street all of a sudden. Uh, rickety street, beautiful old houses on each side, uh, very old houses with um, slate, slate roof, that grey roof very tall houses made of stone or the modern stuff they use for houses but there, there will be always a big big doors on the side for the tractor of course and so that means each house has a tractor place a stable or you know those those big buildings beautiful front gardens and you can see the garden as you're walking up the road and then on the top of the road maybe 200 meters you turn left keep going more houses little courtyards uh, you can you can hear the chickens you can you can hear the the horse as well as few horses in the yard and on the left a beautiful tall house with red blinds and that was my house that was my my house with a balcony and you could see you could see the mont blanc you could see all the mountain in the back and we had we were so lucky because our neighbor had a huge fig tree and we could literally just put our arms out just slightly outside the, the banister of the stairs and grab all those figs. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it was amazing. I have to say in the Alps, lots of beautiful uh, plants are growing. So you've got grapes, figs, almond, apricots, peaches, apples, pears. There's all sorts of fruit trees because the summers are very hot. And uh, because we are in the valley, so it's protected during uh, winter, things survive and uh, it's just amazing. So we always had almonds. And when I was little, my thing was to go out and get the blackberries, lots of blackberries. So we had kilos of blackberries to go to school. I was walking 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, but it was a very common thing that uh, every kids in the village had to walk. And in those days, we all knew each other. So there, there was always older children that actually took care of us, literally. So I was walking with an older friend, girls, two girls, that my mom knew her mom and, uh, you know, so it was very safe to go to school and it was all uphill to go to school. I remember uphill. <laughs> and the last bit to go to, to arrive at the gate of the school was, oh my goodness, it, it was really, really uh, steep, really, really steep. But winter was amazing because it took us maybe one hour, maybe a bit more, because it was not because we were tired to walk in the snow. Maybe there was a little bit of that, but we were playing as well, uh, making snowballs and all sorts. So, yeah, with us, we had to bring uh, a log of wood sometime, our slippers, because our teacher, it was an old school. So the, in those days, the school was the mairie as well, where the mayor, so my teacher in those days was the mayor of the village and the teacher. So we only had one room to teach uh, because uh, there was no many children. So all the classes were in the same, uh, same class physically, literally. And in the middle, we had a wood heater. And I remember the smell, the beautiful smell of wood burning. So we had to take off our boots, uh, change our socks, put the socks behind the heater so it will dry. And I remember seeing the steam sometime coming out of the socks. After that, we had a hot chocolate. Our teacher was making us hot chocolate. So everything was on the stove. But we had a few friends that didn't have, maybe they didn't have the money or we never really questioned it, but we were puzzled to see that they, they use crushed newspapers to put uh, between their jacket and their jumper. And they all looked like a Michelin man. <laughs> they, they were quite, it was quite funny, but they, they were telling us uh, that it kept them warm. Later on, our teacher was explaining to us, actually, we had our first science lesson about insulation. And that's how I knew that if you layered uh, your clothing with air, that will insulate you and keep you from, uh, from the cold. And that's exactly what they were doing in a very cheaper way uh, with newspaper, basically. And of course, the teacher was using the newspaper to to burn uh, our logs. So, but he always had a huge mega pile of uh, of newspaper. <laughs> in summer, we had tourists, but the tourists, <laughs> they were all from Paris, and I don't know if you know. 
But in France, and I think still now, we don't like Les Parisiens. No, no, no. So the children, uh, our favorite game was to insult them. It was so naughty, but we were children, okay? So when we, we were looking at the registration, because in France you can see the, on the registration which county you are from, we were singing our favorite song. Do you want to hear the song? <laughs> no, oh, it's too much. That's the thing with small villages. People don't like outsiders. And guess what? The capital, the people living in the capital, no matter where they are, they always don't belong to the, to the place. So we were, we were, I don't know, a bit naughty. But that was it. That was the naughtiest thing I ever done in my life, singing that song. I promise you I haven't done anything bad after that. <laughs> what is my biggest memory of Cruella Chapelle? It's it's a it's a smell memory I think I I can I can tell you the smell of the snow the snow has a smell the smell of the flowers uh, wild flowers those wild roses eglantine we call them there's no comparison uh, between a rose and eglantine to me the wild rose is amazing smell of the cows smell and not just manure but the milk yes let's talk about milk <laughs> i think i was allowed to go and get the milk in those lovely little tin containers and i was maybe six seven when mom let me go down the road all by myself and at the time it was 15 centimes a liter of milk so I carried four because I had two and two on each uh, on each hand. And the, the, oh, my favorite moment was when mom was boiling the milk because it was not pasteurized. It was fresh milk. So we had to boil it. And we had a little f a round metal or glass, it depends, a little something we put at, on, on in the saucepan. So when the milk was boiling, you could hear that little thing trembling at the bottom of the pan. And it was telling you, I'm boiling, I'm boiling. So we had to stop it. So the milk wouldn't go over the pan. But that is not my favorite moment. My favorite moment when Western milk got cool and then mom was putting the milk in the fridge, there must be half an inch of thick cream on the top. That was my favorite moment. So we had to skim the the cream and lots of cream just landed in my stomach really. I could not I could not uh, so that cream, you know, was supposed to be used to make cakes, but I could not resist. I had to eat the cream and still now I love cream, so I could I am not eating cream. I actually could drink it. <laughs> So cream and the milk was so creamy that the, it, it was yellow actually. When the cream was formed, it was not white. It's just yellow, like butter. It was amazing. From time to time, I buy the jersey milk and it's just lovely. But you know, there's no secret. Wherever there's green grass, if the you know the cows are fed mostly on that, uh, the milk is going to be fabulous. Absolutely uh, fabulous. Yeah. Did I speak English before I arrived? Well, I had, I thought I would be good. <laughs> I had 11 years of uh, English knowledge. So, but 
it was what uh, one or two hours a week uh, in the curriculum. But when I arrived, no, I was not speaking much English. Uh, you know, very very basic sentences, and I was actually um, kind of conscious uh, when I was speaking in English. Uh, because uh, I was constantly afraid to make mistakes, to be judged. So very shy, very shy. Now, I'm, I'm, I know I make plenty of mistakes, but I'm talking no matter what. So uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, so yeah, I was very shy. My, my English was very limited. And very quickly, I was stressed out because when I arrived in that place in South Kensington, in uh, the pâtisserie, uh, uh, French pâtisserie, I needed to, to converse with the, the customers and be able to help them. So I had a list of keywords to learn how to describe a cake, a cheese, and uh, uh, what kind of coffee and tea you want. So I had to learn all that language, uh, work language. It was, uh, And that's all I could say, thank you very much, you're welcome. That, that was it, so I could not say more than that. And I remember, I thought, oh, it's funny, everybody say cheese, cheese, cheese. But in my head, I understood cheese rather than cheers. So I started to say cheese to the bus driver and, and nobody, I've been saying cheese to people maybe two or three weeks in a row. And nobody say, no, it's not cheese, it's cheers. But I think when people, uh, uh, they, they just thought they heard cheers. But I was really saying, cheese, cheese, <laughs> to people. And one day my husband said, what did you say? I said, well, I said, cheese. It's another way to say thank you. It's no. <laughs> so he told me, he told me that, that, was, that was the thing. And also um, dreaming. I started to dream in English, would you believe it? I was dreaming in English, thinking in English, and I thought, that's it, I got it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, yeah, uh, how quickly it comes when you, and it was what, uh, maybe half a year, maybe six, seven months, and I started to be fluent, I would say, making lots of mistakes, but, but I was very comfortable. And I never say Coca-Cola in English. That's the only thing. If I have to say Coke, <laughs> I would say Coca-Cola. Because in France, we, we say it a different way. And it's very rude in English. So I never say that word again, ever. <laughs> I think I had an opportunity to go to a course, uh, adult course, uh, to learn English. It was quite cheap in those days, actually. I don't even think I paid for it, to be honest. And after that, I trained myself to just listen around me. I just listened people talking, having conversation in the bus. One day, I just remember thinking, oh, could I read that book in English? And my husband said, or Franz said, oh, yeah, I think you can. And I go, hmm. And then I actually did. There was many words I didn't understand, but I... I got the meaning of the, the, the story very quickly and uh, that's how I knew I progressed. And I started to dream in English, would you believe it? I was dreaming in English, thinking in English, and I thought, that's it, I got it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, yeah. 
The only thing I was not too comfortable was on the phone. I don't know why. The phone always put me off. Maybe I could not see uh, the, the hands, the body. Uh, I could not sometimes mime what I want exactly. Whatever. And I, now I'm speaking with my hands. But uh, yes, so that, that was the difficulty in communication. What was I expecting of London? Not in a large sense. I was at the time. I felt a bit lonely in France in that place, you know, that I uh, was not too keen of uh, Aquitaine or Medoc. I just wanted to a challenge, a challenge. And I knew that I needed to push myself a little bit because I was, I'm quite shy by nature. I'm quite uh, reserved. And I thought, oh, why not? I've got the opportunity to go to London. And I was not in a million of years, you know, I never thought I'll, I'll live in England or, you know. And that, was, that wouldn't be, if you ask me a long time ago, would you like it to live in Italy? Would you like to, and I would say Italy, of course. But what changed my life is to meet my husband, of course, and to have children. But no, I didn't have high expectation. Maybe prove to myself that I could be a bit more independent and uh, and see see a little bit the world. Can I remember my first few days or weeks here? It was uh, how can I say that nicely? A shock for my culture, I think. <laughs> when I arrived in Clapham, we were sharing a house, but my living space was a bedroom, and we had to share. I had a sink in my bedroom, thank God. And uh, we had to share with a few more people. So my sister, my brother-in-law and two more couples, a kitchen and a bathroom. I had a little fridge in my in my room as well. So that was good. I had my own little fridge, my little sink. Because when it was very useful because when I saw the state of the kitchen and the state of the bathroom, I thought, great i have a sink and i have a fridge so yeah it was very uh, poorly maintained by the by the owner of the house the things were the, the, there was no wallpaper the the, the lino in the kitchen was disgusting everything was dirty the bathroom seriously i, I had to go to the bathroom with a bottle of bleach <laughs> So my sister and myself, we were the ones who were bleaching the bathroom uh, on a regular basis because, you know, from time to time we had to have a shower, not a bath, a shower. <laughs> and the toilet, uh, oh gosh, uh, uh, bleach, 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 and bleach. And what I found in my fridge, my little fridge in the, in the bedroom was an old stinky pair of boots and the fridge was bleach as well. I think the mattress, I actually, um, oh, what did I do to the mattress? I think I bleached the mattress as well. <laughs> I had a spray and I just, you know, I just bleached everything. And I put maybe three or four blankets on the mattress and then I put the, the sheets and everything. I had to really, really uh, invest in blankets and sheets. and But it was cozy. After a while, I thought my, my little nest was, it was a little nest. It was lovely and cozy. And then I want to do some shopping. And that's when I discovered, uh, you know, the mince, mince meat was funny uh, because I didn't realize I bought some corn meat. 
and I never had that before. Uh, I don't think it existed in France or not not in my little town anyway. And I thought that was disgusting. What is that? It's not beef. It's not even red. What's this? It's, you know, out of date. <laughs> but anyway, lots of spaghetti um, in tins, those loops thing, beans on toast. And I encountered Marmite twiglets that I didn't like at first. I really thought Marmite was absolutely disgusting, revolting. But now I do like it. I have to say I love, I love Marmite and I prefer it uh, in a hot water, like a broth and a little bit of pepper. And, and I, I quite like it, actually. But uh, Quicksave, they always had good red wine in Quicksave, actually. Quite good, good prices in wine. So whoever was ordering the wine at that time was a connoisseur, maybe French <laughs> or Italian. I don't know, but it was really, we were never disappointed with wine in Quicksave. Spam. I knew spam. When I, when I tried to talk to my daughter, she said, what is that? So, oh my God, Magella, yeah, you, you don't know what spam is. <laughs> so I was living on that kind of diet. And so I was homesick. Yeah. Clapham Common from the 90s was quite different from the Clapham Common of today. I actually, when I think about it, prefer the old Clapham. There were lots of nice pubs there. And that was part of my English learning as well, because I was going to the pub with my friends and we met other um, English spoken people. Um, but I didn't want to stay. <laughs> I, I remembered uh, that day was very still vivid in my memory homesick. Um, I just wanted to see mom and dad again, see France uh, eating better food. <laughs> and uh, I, I did make my, uh, my luggage. I was ready to go. I booked my, uh, my airfare. And um, the day after, I think, or two days later, I met my future husband, not knowing it was my future husband, of course. But I saw that beautiful Irish boy. <laughs> and I thought he was beautiful, handsome, but um, I met him in a discotheque, the soft side in Clapham. I'm sure some people know the soft side. It's, uh, it was quite good, actually, because uh, girls didn't pay. We didn't have to, or just a small price. But all I remember is the drinks were free. So I had so many, many vodka orange. I must have like 14 or 15. I was not even merry, so I, I understand why it was free. Anyway, and I met my husband there and it was, uh, it was lovely. And he just invited me to dance. He was with his friend. I was with my, as I call them, my boys. They were managers as well in uh, that patisserie. So... And they actually pushed me to go out because I never really wanted to go out. Remember, I was sad, homesick. I just wanted to stay in my room. But they insisted for me to go out. So, uh, okay, let's go out. Let's have some fun. And I met uh, my husband. And, uh, yeah, we had fun. We, we were dancing. And then uh, he asked me my phone number. So I remember turning towards my friend and say, oh, give him the card of the shop. <laughs> Think very casual. Give him the card of the shop. If he wants to come back and see me, he will. He will. And two days later, someone was at the shop. And it was him, John. And uh, 
that's how we met and after that uh, we we had lots of walk and, and, and that that was it the spark was there i was very quickly invited to meet his parents we were living together a few months later and uh, i remember it was quite funny because we had to hide a little bit because daddy uh, dad his dad was a very um, good catholic man but mom mom and dad were amazing beautiful they're the best parents in law uh, someone can dream of they were fantastic with me and uh, yeah four years later uh, in 96 i got married 96 yeah and three years later, I had my first baby. So that's why I stayed in London. <laughs> How is London to compare with Cruella Chapelle? I always say that the aspect of London I really like is that kind of freedom. We've got an expression in France. It's, it's, it's a bit naughty, but we say in France, if you go out with a feather in your ass, <laughs> people won't look at you. And, and uh, I don't uh, like like maybe like a carnival. I think it's, it relates to carnival. You know those carnival fever. You can you wear behind and then you uh, half naked or whatever. And London is exactly that. I think you can seriously. You 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 know people might look at you a bit, but you are not judged for what you look and what you're wearing. I think it's a big thing. But then again, I'm talking about my experience of growing in a small village and small town where people are very judgmental, I have to say. They'll be looking at you and what is she wearing? What is he wearing? Or have you seen the length of the hair? The, the people are quite judgmental. Is there anything from home I really missed? Oh, la gruyère. <laughs> Cheap gruyère. La râpé. We put that everywhere. It's just, you know, grated cheddar, but French. And that does accommodate your cooking so well. That's why I'm missing it. It's one of those little things. Uh, a little bit of Gruyere goes a long way. <laughs> so you put it everywhere. In soup, in anywhere. So yeah, I would be missing that. And maybe... Um, hmm, what else would I miss? Hmm. Here you have... Uh, uh, we've got much cheaper chorizo as you call it lardon here's a, but it's it's we say lard but lard here is fat it would be bacon you know the bacon and the fat so when you cut it it's got the lardon shape and it's very cheap in france mussels oysters very cheap as well where where i'm living you can you can eat a dozen of oysters for close to nothing uh, when it's the season of course uh, so I'm missing the, yeah, seafoods and cheese, of course, and maybe some cheaper kind of food that can make your food much or your dishes delicious. Wine as well, cheap wines. Yeah, because you do, we like cooking with wine in France. And so I'm missing that kind of practical thing. And the weather, maybe a bit more warmth. <laughs> maybe um, I'm missing the snow, yeah. Yeah. Did I experience anything that made me uh, regret coming here? I think for me it was my inside feelings because I was homesick. That's all. I missed my mom and dad. But uh, maybe it took me a while to get used to the noise. I have to say the traffic, traffic noise, uh, the, the smoke, the pollution. I remember the pollution uh, quite and sometime uh, too much rain and uh, it was a bit miserable but 
Yeah, mainly mom and dad. I was missing my mom and dad. Remember, I was a baby, <laughs> even if I was 25 years old, never went anywhere uh, alone. And, and I was miles away from home. Uh, you know, it was I was missing. But then after that, I had friends, more friends, and I uh, met my John. And, uh, so life was sweeter. What do I do here? So what I'm doing here uh, now, I'm working in a, in a lovely school, primary school, and I am a teaching assistant. I've been doing that job for maybe 17 years. Um, yeah, maybe 17 years. I'm not sure. It's, it's, I love my job. I love the kids. Being surprised by them constantly and not one day is the same. And never go to school thinking you're going to have the same day than the day before. And if you have a bad day, just draw a line because the day after might be worse. <laughs> Joking. Oh, it could be actually. Oh, it could be much better. You know, children are amazing like that. Even sometimes you're doing a little thing you don't realize. You don't realize it's got an impact on children. And then that kid years later sees you and will tell you oh by the way do you remember when you told me that and that and you don't of course but they do it's amazing so there's always a little a little something that hopefully you can do to to improve their life to make them a little bit happier especially kids now uh, we, we went through uh, the pandemics um, covid and all sort of um, worrying thing, uh, wars, and uh, the kids are aware, you know, the world is not a happy, happy place sometimes. And uh, so kids are really feeling those things. So, yeah, I'm happy to help when I can, if I can. Would that be the same person if I stayed in France? That's a good question. I think I'll be three stones of a way to start <laughs> because lockdown in France. Oh, <laughs> and if I was if I was in the Alps, definitely five stones overweight. Would I be? I don't know. Maybe I would be living in Italy. God knows. You know, I would have met because let's not forget, there's lots of Italian in the Alps. You know, we're very close to Italy or Switzerland. Oh, if I was staying in Medoc, I think I would have met maybe a Basque or a Spanish guy. I don't know. It's funny that I don't think French, but uh, maybe because in my family, we all mixed. I don't want to think of that because uh, that would mean I would not have my two beautiful children and I don't, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it was written. It was written that way. That's why I'm thinking, yeah. What's good about London? Culture. I think I, I, I'd love to know how many museums we can visit in London. One day I have to, to do a research on that. How many museums you can visit for free? How much culture you can get from libraries, museum? Uh, there's lots of places you can learn, you know, to draw, to uh, libraries are amazing like that. There's always workshops. People. People in London, I think, are amazing. Many, many kind of people, many nationalities. Uh, that's what I like about London and the freedom, freedom to be yourself, I think. Freedom to express yourself. I found, because I'm French, the bureaucracy, is the administrative side of, can be, I mean, I know people will say, oh, it's quite tedious. Yes, but go to France, 
it's even worse, I think. Um, I don't know, no, I haven't lived in France for 30 years uh, full time, so maybe it's different. But that's the feeling I had when I arrived 30 years ago here. I thought it's actually quite easy. People are helping me, the state is helping me. And really, if I don't achieve, it's because it's my fault. It wouldn't be people's fault. So I, I think that's quite... I was giving opportunity. I was I was given opportunities to to succeed. That's why I've done my course to be a teaching assistant. And uh, I've done a course to be a carer as well. So, yeah, it was quite... I was very, very pleased for that. What isn't good about London? I'll tell you what needs to change. The roads. Work for the infrastructure, roads and trains. Uh, I think people deserve to travel on better roads, to to have better trains and buses, because in summer here, uh, summer is getting hot in London as well. Uh, it could, it's, it's too hot on the bus. It's disgustingly hot on trains and, and the underground. And I, I think I think the money should be spent to really develop those roads and the cycling roads as well. Definitely, we need. London is a big, big place. is uh, it's, you know one of the most important European cities. Uh, I think we should do more for that. We need we need to get together and try to find some some credible solutions and really help. Uh, it breaks my heart when I hear stories or oh, a little girl dies, she was asthmatic, but because mom hasn't got any money, that little girl was living on a very uh, highly frequented road and and she died. I mean, kids are still dying from pollution. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Uh, habitation as well. Uh, you don't want to live in a flat uh, with black mold or... So that... That is actually very embarrassing for London. I found that quite embarrassing and that has to change. Do I have a favourite thing to do in the city? I love the parks. There's always something to do for free. You don't have to have money to entertain yourself. The museums are amazing. You know, you can get some cheap tickets to, to listen great music, sing plays. It's It's absolutely fantastic uh, on that point. Uh, London, I think someone wrote a book, if you're bored of living in London, you know the one, <laughs> if you're bored of life. And it's true because uh, it's, you know, London, there's a lot, a lot to see, a lot to do. Do I miss anything about London when I'm not here? Yes. Do you know what it is? I'm missing the opening hours for shops because I always, always forgot in London you can buy anything at any time. Okay, let's say you can go to the store, Sainsbury, Tesco. There's always one shop open. Even if it's Christmas, there'll be a corner shop open somewhere. But in France, I always forget that you've got a closure time in the middle of the day. So when we're on holiday, I say, well, that's all right. I can go and buy some blah, blah, blah. Ah, no, we can't because the shops are closed. And when it's summer, it's even closer longer. But I'm thinking as well, maybe it's a way of life as well. Maybe actually those people working in the shop enjoy the break. So, you know, there's there's a, a balance. And uh, we're, we're blessed with the National History Museum, with all those museums. And uh, 
when mom used to come uh, visit me uh, that's that's the place she wanted to go all the time and and she loved it and i did as well love i love museums yeah where can i get the best french food in london wow okay uh, in Penge, actually not far from here there's a lovely it's called Shave. Eve does some amazing uh, he calls them the galette so it's a savory pancakes and it has a sweet one and it's got as well a plat du jour and it's amazing uh, it's a very small business but it's amazing French cuisine do you know what I don't go to French restaurants when I'm in London a mayor for the day, what would I change? Ooh, okay, power. One thing I'm really um, fond of changing would be in education because I'm working in a primary school. There's not enough creativity. Uh, I want those kids to, to be happy. Lots of kids are losing the skills not to use their hands, basically. So creativity, painting, modeling, you know, do, using Play-Doh, making uh, sculptures, how to do the stitches, anything like that. I think kids would love it. It would fight anxiety as well. And unfortunately, in primary school. I've been working now, let's say, 17 years. We do much less, I think, than we used to do in the old days. And and that, to me, is key of happiness for children. And to discover the talents, to, you know, to, to experiment with things. I'm very, um, how can I say, very passionate about that. They're great collectors, children. They love to pick up stuff uh, on the ground. Uh, you know, I see so many kids uh, picking up leaves, uh, pieces of grass, little stones, making little holes in the ground, and, and that's it. They're building a house for, for a fairy, or they'll have a, a bug's hotel in no time. And yeah, if I had to do it again, I'd love to be... Maybe not an art teacher, but uh, a craft person, a crafty person. And yeah, that would, that would be great. That would be my dream. <laughs> and that's it for this episode of I Came to London. Join us again next time for more stories from the people who make London. London.